He is risen. Amen. In the last year or so, I have been to an unusually large number of funerals and therefore to the burials which either preceded or followed them. And if you would allow me, I would like to take you with me for a moment to show you what I've seen in the cemeteries. Our visit this morning will not be long, but if you will see what I have seen, I believe you will be helped. I've seen row upon row of gravestones, granite of red, gray, black, marble, all placed on or in the ground with names and dates and a few short words. The longest lasting natural material man can find, etched with words that he vainly hopes will not pass away. Some of the writing is clear and crisp, the stone newly chiseled and polished. Other stones have writing that is barely legible, the letters worn away by centuries of sun and cold, wind and rain. These silent stones watch us as we gather with family and friends around a freshly dug grave. Our words to each other are spoken quietly. Our spirits are subdued. Our movements slow. We do not want to be there, and yet we know we need to be there. Conflicted and wounded, we step over the dirt and sod which has been slung to the side of the gaping hole. The earth, too, is wounded. I've seen the casket placed over the earth's wound. I've heard the pastor try to speak comfort to our wound. The stones seem deaf. Or are they listening? I've seen a widow bow her head, bewildered at what is happening, knowing that we are burying her husband, but unable to feel it unable to process the awful final reality of it all. I've seen a young granddaughter with a little tear tracing a path from the corner of her eye to her chin. She looks on the box, the silent box, and wonders about Grandpa. In the box? Gone? I've seen a father and a mother cling to each other, laying a rose on their own child's casket. Oh, it is not supposed to be this way. And yet for them, it is this way. I've seen friends stand with friends in the cold and ice, the surrounding gravestones peeking over the snow to watch. I've seen friends stand close to friends in the sun as if it were cold, for it always seems cold in a cemetery. The stones are cold. I've seen the cars slowly leave, the casket covered with earth. Soon there will be another stone with more words, another name, new dates, another silent witness to stand and watch and listen at the next burial, for there will be another one and another one. And another one. The stones seem to be silent. 
Or are they? Do I hear them in some sort of soundless whisper? A matter-of-fact announcement that taunts us? Are the stones right? Is this the end? Each name, they whisper, has two dates below it. One the beginning, the other the end. Their silent voice tells us that there is no other date to be etched in the stone. No other expectation, only that the coming centuries will gradually erase the name. Are the stones right in what they tell us? I think not. I think not because there is a grave outside Jerusalem that had within it a cold, lifeless body, but today is empty. That body had been taken off a Roman cross. It was mutilated. The person had been tortured. The death, horrific. Hastily, the body had been prepared for burial by loyal friends. It was placed in a carved-out sepulcher in the side of a hill. A huge stone was rolled over the entrance, and a Roman seal was placed on it. A contingent of Roman soldiers were assigned to guard it, for though One who was buried there had spoken words that suggested that he would rise from the dead. And his opponents did not want his followers to steal the body and then claim that he had risen. But Roman soldiers and a Roman seal, the mammoth stone, the grave clothes, the mutilation and death could not prevent what would happen next. We've read it already in unison. The account occurs in Matthew 28. It says, I'll read it to us again. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he he has risen. Just as he said, Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you. Into Galilee, where you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Ah, my friend, you see, his resurrection from the dead means that you and I will experience a resurrection from the dead. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have not brought a Bible with you, you can use one of ours, and you'll find this passage on page 1370. 1370. We're going to be reading beginning in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. And I want to ask and try to answer from this chapter in the Bible four questions about our resurrection about our resurrection. If you look there at uh, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, 
I'll read through verse 26. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after that those are those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. This is a fantastic passage of scripture. And I hope that you can see in it the connection between Christ's resurrection and your resurrection. You notice up there he, he he uses the word first fruits verse 23 christ the first fruits christ is the first but it doesn't mean merely in chronology it doesn't just mean that he's the first to rise because if you think of it for at least a time you remember lazarus was in the grave and jesus commanded him to come forth and lazarus came back from the dead and walked out of the grave so In that sense, one had risen from the dead before Christ. So it's not just speaking of Christ being the first in the order of time. There's something much more significant than that. Look again at verse 21. It says, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. No, you see, there is a union of nature between the representative head And his race, Adam is the head of the race, the human race. And Adam in his sin brought death not only to himself, but to everyone who would come from him, which includes all of us in this room. But then there is Jesus. That's the second man being spoken of there in verse 21. Jesus Christ, he is also the head of a new race, for all those that are joined to him. And so he being the head of this new race, just as Adam is the head of the old race, when Jesus, the head, rises from the dead, all who are in Christ are promised that they too will rise. Look at at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Just as the sin of Adam causes the death of all who are in him, so the resurrection of Jesus causes the resurrection of all who are in him. The others will follow in resurrection by virtue of his resurrection. And those who will follow in this are not just everyone on the earth, but those who are in Christ, as it says in verse 22. But the question, so the, so the first question then is, how can we be sure that we will be resurrected? My friend, we can be sure that we will be resurrected 
because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Amen? Amen. Another question, though, that comes to our mind is, but how can it be that we would be physically resurrected? Well, this we know we're, we're saying that, and the scripture says that the resurrection in the end, in the last day, it certainly has an impact on our spiritual being, but it is also physical. Jesus Christ, when he rose, he didn't rise as a ghost or a spirit. If we took the time to read the passages, he, he touched people. People grabbed him. He ate a fish. He is physically risen from the dead, and so shall we be. But people will make an objection. They'll say, but, but our bodies, when we're, we've died and we're buried, they, they decompose. So how can the elements in the body possibly be reunited in a new body? I mean, we decompose and they plant trees over us and part of us winds up in the leaf of the tree and then fall comes and the wind blows the leaf across the street. Now part of me's over there. How can this be? How, how can this be? Well, there is a miracle here, but we remember as one of the... Um, One theologian said, he said, the identity of a resurrection body with the body that descended into the grave does not require that it be composed of exactly the same particles. I mean, even think that even in your life now, scientists tell us that the particles of your body are constantly changing as the years go by. And as you eat, your body changes that which makes you, you, and your, your physical you now, it's not even the same stuff that made you, you 20 years ago. It's all been changed anyway. So let's not be, um, let's not be distracted by that. But if you look farther in the chapter to verse 35, look at verse 35. We'll find that we're not, we're not the first ones to ask this question. Verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Now he answers a little bit harshly. You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. When you... As the weather is finally changing, we've had our garden plowed in our backyard for weeks and we can't plant yet, but uh, we're growing. We planted, we got all, my wife has all these little, you know, it's all these plants growing in a little pot. It's going to be a forest inside before we can actually put it in the ground. But when we planted those seeds, the, the, the seed, there's a connection between the seed and the plant, but they look different, but they're the same thing. And he's saying somehow in this, uh, in our bodies, it's, there's a connection and yet there's a difference. The identity stays the same. The form somehow changes and that part we don't quite see yet, but um, our resurrected body will be our body, but will be in some ways changed. So another question then comes. The third question is, so what will our future body be like? What will it be like? 
In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. You see, our bodies are going to be transformed. They're not disposed of. The life to come is not, you know, we're not just weightless spirits floating on clouds. We have bodies in the, in the future life after the last day. Notice now again in this chapter, chapter 15, look at verse 42. And remember, we're asking the question, well, what's our body going to be like? It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable, a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. Sown meaning we've died. We're being buried. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We don't know all the details of the answer to the question, well, what will my future body be like? But this passage gives us four descriptions that excite us. Notice it says that it will be imperishable, incorruptible. That means that the body we will have and in the last day in the resurrection of the dead Our bodies will be unable to decay. They're not going to get old. That hasn't happened to me. I don't know what it's like to be old yet. (laughs) Not. This, you know, there's some line you cross where you don't feel like you're ever getting any better. You're just minimizing how fast you go down. And did you notice that that line, your body crosses it a long time before your mind crosses it. Yeah, all of the Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. But this body is going to be great because this body is incorruptible, imperishable. There is none of that. There's no line like that anymore. We will live without crossing that line. There is no such thing. We will live incorruptible. And then it says glorious. It's raised in glory. Some kind of reflection. I don't know, but perhaps a, just some sort of sharing in the glory of God, the, a reflection perhaps of his being and nature, but it will be glorious. And then it says powerful, sown in weakness, raised in power. There will be a strength and a power and ability that we possess and live with. And we will praise God for it. And then it uses the word spiritual. Spiritual. This does not mean that it is immaterial. It does not mean that it's ethereal. But it just means, we think, that it means that the body, the new body, is adapted to the spirit. It is a perfect instrument of the spirit. Jesus appeared and disappeared in surprising manner after his resurrection. You remember, he rose from the dead physically, yet he could apparently walk through a closed door or somehow appear and disappear. He was a very real body, um, and yet 
drastically changed. And we look at Christ's resurrection body and try to guess that maybe in some way that portends and, and, and represents somehow the way we will be. When we first die, our spirits are separate from our body. Our bodies are buried. We are instantly with the Lord, but we are still, salvation, salvation is not yet complete. We're waiting for the right time in the last day when there is the resurrection from the dead and our spirits will then be reunited with these glorified bodies of ours and forever then with these incorruptible, glorious, strong bodies, we will live with God. Amen? Amen. Well, the last question that they, that's asked then is, well, when does this resurrection of mine occur? When does it happen? Well, look at verse 23. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Jesus Christ the one who died for us on the cross, the one who was buried and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven is coming back. And in his return, surrounding his return, there will be the resurrection of the dead. Oh, look, look with me farther. Look at verse 51. Look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we won't all, our bodies aren't going to all stay in the grave. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Look at verse 54. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we saw in the cemetery? Remember the stones with their silent, haunting message? Their insistence that only two dates are to be etched and then erased by time. Birth, death. Oh no, my friend. There is a day coming when the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And those very stones, the ones that in those very cemeteries where I have stood this past year. There, those stones insist that an end has come, but those stones will fall aside in shattered astonishment as the dead are raised in life. The place of mourning and sorrow will become a place of joy and life everlasting. No, my friend, There is to be three dates on every gravestone. Birth, death, resurrection. We don't know that date, but it will be there. 
For the resurrection is certain. For Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Now, we think of these great truths. And we want to think about how they apply to us. Let me press them to you briefly. For those of you who know that you are in Jesus Christ, I have three words for you this morning. First of all, you think of your loved ones. Is there any, are any of us here? You have to be pretty young to be here and to be in Christ and yet to have never lost a loved one. No one close to you, no one that you loved. We, almost all of us, have done that. I want to remind you this morning that they will rise. They will rise from the dead. Amen? They will rise from the dead and you will know them. For you will rise too. And we'll be changed, but we will be the same people. And we will then fellowship with each other on a level that we could never get to even in this earth. On this life. Your loved ones that you've buried in Christ. They will rise. They will rise. You left the cemetery. And when you visit the cemetery today. If you do. There's only two dates there. But I want to remind you that there's a third date. There's a third date coming. The trumpet will sound. The stone will fall away. And your loved one will rise. Amen. Secondly, I just want to say to you, don't fear death. Oh, in one sense, on one level, we fear death. There's an unknown about it. And there's our soul and our body are so tightly knit. I think our soul resists. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to die. And there's something in death itself that makes it even an enemy. It, it speaks here of it being an enemy of Christ. There's something evil about it, even though it's necessary in our time. And yet, on another and a more profound level, my friend, if you are in Christ, you need not fear death. Look at verse 56 again. It says, the sting of death is sin. One theologian wrote it this way, Leon Morris. He said this, it is not death in itself that is the harmful thing. It is death that is the wages of sin that matters. For death, considered simply as the passing out of this life into the immediate presence of the Lord, is a gain, not a loss. Where sin is pardoned, death has no sting. But where sin has not been dealt with, there death is a virulent antagonist. The sting is not in death, but in sin. And you see, my friend, it is true. The sting of death is sin. And so, but you and I, I'm speaking now to you who are in Christ. That sting's been taken away. That sting was felt by Jesus Christ. That's what Good Friday is all about. We remember Jesus hung on the cross and the sting that had your name on it stung him. And so he feels the pain of your sin. He substitutes himself for you and he takes your punishment all the way. The sting is taken away by Christ. So now as you and I approach our own graves, we can do so without fear because the sting is gone. 
it was felt by Christ. Amen? Amen. And the last word I want to say to those of you who are in Christ is, don't get weary. Live for God with everything you've got. I purposely didn't read the last verse of this chapter. When we get here to the, this whole chapter about the resurrection, he gets to the end. Look what he says in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Those tombstones are either lying or they just don't know. There's three dates on every tombstone, my friend. And so you need to remember to keep pressing on. This life here that we have before the grave is not all that life is. And the, and the difficulties that come our way and the weakness that we feel, our own frailty, our own failures and sin... Friend, don't let that get you down. He says here at the end, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You walking with God now, dealing with the people around you now as Christ would have you deal with them, doing now what it is God has led you to do. There you are toiling now in the Lord Don't lose heart. Don't quit. Keep pressing on. For Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You will rise on that day. And God will bring it all together. And we will marvel amidst the shattered tombstones at God's wisdom and his grace and his power and his glory. But... There are some of you here this morning that are not in Christ. Even when I speak about it that way, in Christ, you're not quite sure what that means. Some of what you're listening to and some of what you've experienced, even as we have sung together this morning, you feel a little bit like someone on the outside looking in. You're not really on the inside, not just of this particular church. I don't mean that just of the truth that we're talking about. You're not sure about this. My friend, you need to be sure. You need to come to Christ. You see, when you look at Jesus Christ with eyes of faith and you realize that he is the one who took the sting of death for you and that there is no other way for you to escape that sting, that punishment that comes that we all deserve because of our sin. There's no way to escape it except by the way God has made you to escape it in Jesus Christ. And you see him there and recognize that. And then you trust him. And you renounce your trust in anything else. I'm not trusting in how good I am because I'm not good enough. I'm not uh, trusting in my church. I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ to take the sting of death away and to give me life everlasting. There, my friend, you can have what we've been talking about this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, 
but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. My friend, I want you to know that life. I want you to know this Christ, to believe on him and to be able to look at your grave without fear. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we bless your name and praise and worship you. For you, oh, Lord, have conquered death. You felt the sting for us. You rose from your grave. And one day now you, are, you will come back. The trumpet will sound. We will be changed. And that third date on our gravestone will be etched in forever. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.